Late last night I realized that on our children's bulletin I did not put any key words, so if you have a child who cares about these things, follows along, and that's helpful for them. Uh, the, the key words would be peace, practice, and think. So uh, maybe write those down and they can check them off when they hear them and uh, all that fun stuff. Uh, we're in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. A rather short text today. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the truth, your scriptures, help us to think about them. Help us uh, to think them through, trusting that you will grant understanding as we do. Instruct us not as uh, passive vessels to be filled like with water, but rather as engaged people who are contemplating the greatness of your word. We ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. I had gotten the email. I had seen the subject on the top. And I said to myself, I probably shouldn't read this now. (laughs) I knew it was going to be a difficult uh, email to read. And uh, I had a meeting that I did not want to be distracted during, so I put it off. I should have thought the same thing after I got home from the meeting. But like a fool, I pressed on. The email left me with a lot of different feelings. On the one hand, I felt greatly misunderstood, but I also felt guilty. All of this uh, churning in my brain led to another sleepless night, pondering these things. I tried praying and was wondering where God's peace was as I tossed and turned in my bed, um, at times giving up uh, to read a novel, um, hoping that my brain will find a different pathway. I was very familiar in that instance with what it says in Psalm 13, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow or, or anxiety, as the CSB says, in my heart all the day? In part, I was thinking along the lines of Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my, and some translations throw in, anxious thoughts. Intellectually, so to speak, I was a mess as I churned things over. I can almost imagine Paul writing this to me to be helpful to me, and maybe this will be helpful to you as well. Paul has uh, talked about the peace of God, which guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. But now in this text, he talks not about the peace of God, but the God of peace. A significant transition takes place. 
Jesus is, in fact, the one who establishes peace. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see that Jesus himself is our peace. He is the one who brings reconciliation, not just with God, but also with other human beings, because of his wrath-bearing death. Emmanuel, the one who draws near, the God who is with us, is also the God of peace who is near in order to guard hearts and minds with the peace of God. But the way that Paul talks about this, he says, the God of peace will be with you. Not that the God of peace is with you, And here we have to make a distinction that I believe is similar to the distinction between union and communion. The difference between salvation and assurance of salvation. They are, in fact, already united to Jesus Christ by their faith, but they are not yet experiencing the benefits of their communion with God. But Paul has hopes that they will. And so, for instance, as I lay tossing and turning upon my bed that night, I was not separated from God. It was not as though I had no connection with God, but I was not experiencing all of the fruit of my communion with God. I was not experiencing the peace of God which transcends understanding. Paul wants them to not only have union with Jesus Christ, but Paul wants them to enjoy their communion with Jesus Christ and its benefits. Therefore, he wants them to experience God's peace. And he lays out some additional means of grace so that they might receive that peace. So the first thing I want you to know is that united to God, the God of peace, we can experience the peace of God. It is precisely because we're already united to the God of peace that we can experience the peace of God. So in addition to prayer, which we looked at last week, how is it that we can experience uh, this heart and mind guarding peace from God? And so there are two ways that Paul lays out right here in this passage. Paul interestingly throws out this series of of objective, sorry, not objective, adjective clauses. I had to get my grammar mindset on, and I don't always have a grammar mindset and Neither do you, probably, okay? But there's all of these phrases, boom, 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 this whole series of, of adjective phrases that he lays out. And then he says, think on these. Similar to what he says uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, which we've already uh, read this morning, where Paul gives a, a, a number of illustrations or metaphors of ministry to his young disciple, Timothy, and says, Think on these things. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And so uh, understanding as Christians is not something uh, like a matrix download, for those of you who like that movie like me, you know, where God doesn't just 
boom, drop it in your head, but we gain understanding from God as we think through the truth, as we apply logic to the truth, as we reason through the truth, as we press in and reckon and count and calculate the truth. Paul wanted the Philippians to set their minds on the thinking of certain things, the the rethinking, the, the thinking through, so that they are going to be reshaped by how they think. Paul is addressing the thought life of the Philippians, and by extension, he's also addressing our thought lives. This week I did a little bit of quick reading on the, on the idea of neuroplasticity. I know it's a big word, that neuroplasticity. And, but it, it, it points out to the reality that our minds are moldable. Okay? But what happens is that w- when we think the same things over and over again, okay, we develop, I mean, our brain gets basically shaped. And there are ruts that emerge within our brain. These neural pathways, uh, you know, we see ruts uh, right over there and, you know, the access way, there's, when the water's not there, uh, you'll see that there's ruts because everyone has driven over the same spot time and time again and so that spot gets deeper and deeper and if you're riding a bike, you get stuck in the rut, you can't get out until the rut is over. And that's how it feels to us when we have those sleepless nights. Our brains are stuck in a rut that we can't get out of. One, uh, one author in their blog post talked about it in terms of hiking trails. Okay? Uh, if you neglect a hiking trail, it begins to get overrun and you st- start to lose the trail because the growth has happened. But if it's a well-used trail, then the vegetation on the trail tends to die off because it keeps getting stepped on. And it's easy to find your way. And the idea of the neuroplasticity is... Uh, that you are generally trying to change your thought patterns, which sounds remarkably what Paul is talking about right here, changing the thought patterns. Now, sanctification is more than changing our thoughts, but it is not less than changing our thoughts. Or maybe another way to put it, Changing our thoughts is necessary for sanctification, but it is not the totality of sanctification. Okay? It is necessary but insufficient for our sanctification. But we are told to renew our minds. We see this uh, in Isaiah 55, which we used as part of our uh, assurance of pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. And here we have this idea of repentance being a changing of the mind. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And so it's not just what person practices, but the thoughts of a person that are to be turned away from. 
We see it as well in a very familiar passage, Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the the, the transformation that is intended to take place in sanctification, that becoming more and more like Jesus, that 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 renewal is partly as a result of the renewal of your mind. Thinking different thoughts than the ones you used to think before. Okay? Now, the thoughts that he lays out are encompassed by all of those adjectives that we didn't cover before. The fact that they are true, that they're honorable, that they're just and pure, lovely, commendable, and so forth. These words would be common to the audience because uh, they were words that often show up in Greco-Roman ethical lists. Okay? But that's the thing. Paul is saying, think on those things. Th- think on true things, not false things. Uh, think on honorable things, not dishonorable things. Uh, think on just things as opposed to unjust things. Pure as opposed to impure. Great contrast that he wants them to grasp and understand because our thought patterns often focus on the lies that we believe. They bring us down the wrong road precisely because they have a wrong foundation point. If we think of Adam and Eve in the garden, believing the lie of the serpent and and thinking, God does not have my best interest in mind, and that is the wrong starting point, but that thought brings you into a self-destructive lifestyle. And so Paul is wanting them to build their thoughts upon truth as opposed to lies. Sometimes our thoughts are caught up within our shame. We, We... going over and over about our guilt in a particular situation. We get caught up in in how other people are going to view us because of what we've done if they find out that we've done it. And and our minds just go into dark and dangerous places of isolation and of fear and self-condemnation. Sometimes our thoughts are caught up in the wounds of our existence, of how other people have hurt us. And we mull over, we nurse and rehearse how we've been wronged by someone else, whether it was last week or 25 years ago. That's not lovely, that's not commendable, that's not honorable. It might be true that it happened, but it's not going to help us move forward. Sometimes our thoughts are caught up in the sins that we want to pursue, that we we want to commit, and the the plans that we wish we could make, or actually do make, in order to make it happen. And so Paul wants them to shift from those kinds of thoughts to godly thoughts. And so uh, there's a sense in which, obviously, Paul's command here is not absolute. Okay, if you read the scripture, the scripture is full of other people's sins. Okay, some uncommendable things are mentioned 
in the pages of Scripture. But it's not used in a way that is, they're not mentioned in a way to glorify in them or to glory in them, but to, to present them as an example of what not to do because of the consequences that are found there. This text is often used to talk about our, our use of media, you know, garbage in, garbage out, that kind of thing. And there's some truth to that. D.A. Carson does note, if you think holy thoughts, you will be holy. If you think garbage, you will be garbage. Uh, but it's not simply about uh, a song that you listen to, but it's about what you are running through your mind on a regular basis. And so what we watch or listen to matters to a degree, but the point here is similar to that as what we see in Colossians 3, what you set your mind on. Are you setting your mind on the pursuit of sin or the pursuit of holiness? Are you setting your mind on your guilt or are you setting your mind on your pardon? Are you setting your mind on your shame and this sense of alienation that you experience, or are you setting your mind upon the free acceptance that you have received in Jesus Christ because of his shed blood? Do you understand? Paul is not talking here about superficial, positive self-talk. I love that scene in the VeggieTales Jonah movie where um, Jonah falls into the, the, uh, the hold of the ship and he, he, he hears something and he's trying to figure out what he hears because it's not the voice of God that he hears and it turns out to be Khalil, the traveling salesman, the seller of rugs, carpets, the caterpillar, Khalil. Khalil, who was listening to his self-motivational tapes, where he heard things like, you are powerful and attractive. I'm not sure what an attractive caterpillar looks like, but uh, Khalil was telling himself, uh, because of this tape, he is powerful and attractive. You are a skilled metal worker. You are a go-getter. That's not what I'm talking about. Those aren't the kinds of thoughts that, uh, that, that Paul really has in mind. But he is wanting them to create these new neuropathways and, and stimulate the, the left frontal cortex, which is associated with optimistic people. See, brain scans show us these things now. Optimistic people have more activity in the left frontal cortex than pessimistic people. They have different neural pathways for their thoughts. And those people who are optimistic generally experience more peace. How do we think these thoughts that Paul wants us to think? And I, I thought about this in my own life, and there are times when songs are incredibly important for that. 
there are difficult times in my life where I played uh, almost every day Jars of Clay's Redemption Songs. And I find that uh, that is one album that I go back to when I'm struggling to believe the gospel because it is very gospel-intensive as they sing these redemption songs. During another difficult time, one of the things that I have done in the past, and I still do, is play my guitar. And I play particular songs and, and think through the lyrics as I'm playing those songs. And one was a, this is after my this girlfriend number whatever left. <laughs> well, not left, dumped me. Okay? Feeling rejection. I am not worthy. I don't matter. Okay? Who will ever want to be with me? Okay. You will? Okay, cool. I'm a little old for you. All right. But wounded soldier. I am a wounded soldier. But I will not leave the fight because the great physician is healing me. Um. And then the chorus goes, and I am loved, I am accepted by the Savior of my soul. Very simple gospel-y things that I had to repeat again and again so that they, they became important to me. That I started to actually believe them and uh, was buoyed out of the difficult time. But it's not just songs. That's a good way of doing it because we tend to remember things easier in songs. So it's good to memorize hymns and, and recall them in the midst of difficulty. But when we think of Psalm 119, how is it that a young man can keep his way pure? How is it that he can not sin against God? And part of it, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The reading and reciting of, of Scripture is important. Very few people in Paul's days, I mean, they didn't have a Bible like this. They had scrolls. And rabbis had scrolls because it was they were costly, and that was part of what a rabbi did, is studied the scrolls. But not everyone necessarily had scrolls. They learned by memorization. And so the psalmist's thought was not something that he was a super elite kind of Jew, but it was really that's what people did. To know Scripture, you memorized Scripture. And I fear that we've sort of moved away from that as we rely upon our technology. I think our brains have somehow shrunk in some ways. I can only remember three phone numbers. No, sorry, four phone numbers now. I remember it. I just remembered one. I remember the office phone number. I can call the church office when I want to. Isn't that awesome? But you know what the other three numbers are? Where I've lived or live. Okay. I remember the number for the house in, in Nashua, New Hampshire. I remember the phone number for the house that I lived in in, in Winter Haven, Florida. And I remember the, the number for the house I live in now here in Tucson. That's not so helpful, folks. I can't call the past me's, okay, and give them advice or hear from them, all right? I don't know who I'm going to get if I dial those numbers, okay? Maybe, maybe one of you wants to do an experiment. 603-882-2598 and ask who answers. Who are you? My pastor used to have this number when he was a child, and I want to know who you are. 
This might be a gospel opportunity for you. Okay? But, 602-882-2598. There you go. Um, And if you care about Winter Haven, it's 863-318-0143. Okay? All right. Anyway. We tend not to memorize things anymore because it's too easy to keep it in our technology. But I want to encourage you to, to overcome that, that, that thing of, well, you know, I've got the tech. Because when you're lying on your bed in the middle of the night, your tech isn't going to help you unless you go downstairs, in my case, and start Googling things. If you're dealing with guilt, it's very easy to remember Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in or united to Christ Jesus. And if you're feeling guilty, that's one of those things you need to think about. If you're thinking about how you want to get revenge on another person, uh, Romans 12 is kind of helpful. The Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, which means vengeance is not mine. I shouldn't repay, but leave it into the hands of God. If I'm afflicted, it's very important that I can pull on things like Romans 8.28. For we know that in all things God works for the good of his people who love him and are called according to his purpose. Uh, That is incredibly helpful to think through in the midst of our affliction. And it's good if it's stored in your heart instead of you have to look it up. Or perhaps Lamentations 3.23 is by His mercies we are not consumed. His mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. That is an incredibly important text to remember when everything within you is screaming, He's not faithful because your circumstances are difficult. And so I encourage you to build an arsenal of Scripture in your heart. Some of you have arsenals at home, different guns for different purposes. Get an arsenal of Scripture for different purposes. For the, when the day of hardship comes, you will be ready to confront the lies in your heart with the truth of Scripture. Build an arsenal. We experience God's peace when we think about the truth. Well, where else does Paul want us to, what does he want us to do in order to experience this mind and heart guarding peace? Paul points them to this interesting idea. It's similar to what we talked about a few weeks ago. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. We talked about this in the course of discipleship. Okay, the, the, the reality of, a, of having a mentor of sorts, uh, someone that is more mature than you. Okay, so discipleship is not just about listening to sermons. It's about receiving truth as it really is as truth. It's submitting yourself to receiving instruction. And in order to receive instruction, you need to be humble. Because on our part, you're acknowledging that you don't know everything. 
And you can't learn it on your own, but you need someone to show you. We learn through what we hear, but we also learn through what we see. That's the hard rubbing part of life because I, I lament over how much my children have learned negatively from seeing me as I don't always deal with my frustrations well. It's not simply one or another, brothers and sisters. We learn from both instruction and example. And what does Paul want them to do with what they have, that they have learned and heard, received, what they've seen and what they've heard? He says, practice these things. Theology is essential to a transformed life. Okay? They were to exercise themselves in these things. They were to be busy with these things, learning how to implement them, accomplish them. There's the idea here of repetitive action that is taking place with that word practice, that it takes a lot of work to take the skills and continue to do them until they feel natural. And I, I spent hours upon hours in the driveway when I was a kid working on my shot. And I probably could have used a whole lot more of instruction on having a good shot. But I played basketball for hours. Learning how to play guitar so that you're, you're, you're fingering all of the chords correctly and practicing going from one chord to another, to another, back and forth. I, I learned the wrong way. <laughs> Don't learn how to play guitar like I did. But I learned by playing songs. I found simple praise songs that had different chords and I just worked through the songs. That's how I learned how to play guitar. Um, repetition is unavoidable in, in learning how to do things, how to accomplish things. So when I, when I hung letters on our wall yesterday, I, you know, called the two older kids over, and one of them came, and I showed them how algebra matters because I used an algebraic formula to discern where to put the nails, how far apart everything needed to be, okay, based on how much space, you know, just discovering how much space was going to be uh, left between items, yeah, so algebra. I still remember it. Yay. <laughs> I still use it. It's not useless. So get, don't give up, kids. Some of this stuff, you might not think it's useful, but it may be one day because you might have to hang something on the wall when, you're, uh, when your significant other wants you to hang things on the wall. So... Um, These are sort of some of the skills that perhaps need to be attained are the skills of Christian living. And so be thinking about what, what skills of Christian living do I need to learn how to practice? Where are the gaps in my life that I need to, someone to help me learn how to do? 
That's where the, the ladies' ministry heart-to-heart comes into play, I think. Some of those more experienced women um, making themselves available uh, to the younger women so that they can uh, attain some of those skills in life. It's not about recipes and cooking. It's about living faith. Learned and received here and see in others so that you can practice uh, those skills for godly living. But there's a, sort of an implied condition in the midst of these things. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see? Practice these things. If you aren't practicing these things, then there's no expectation for the God of peace to be with you in terms of communion. What, what we see here is similar to what we find in John 14, which uh, was maybe hopefully is familiar to a bunch of you from when we went through John, where Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey me, and the love of the Father will be with you. And so Jesus is, is speaking this in the context of, you've already been loved by God, so now love him back, and the way in which you love him back is, is obeying my word, and then you will experience communion with him. You already have union with God, but if you're going to enjoy the communion with God, obedience matters. And so here in this context, it's you, you've learned, you've received, you've, you're, you're beginning to practice, and then you experience Emmanuel's peace. The other way of looking at this is, don't expect to enjoy communion with Christ and therefore enjoying His peace when you are disobedient, when you are willfully disobedient. Just as the disobedient child enjoys the love of their parents on, in one sense, they're still parents and children, they still have that relationship, but it's not pleasant at the moment. They're not enjoying the benefits of being children of those particular parents because they're walking in disobedience. And that's what Paul's talking about. Don't expect to experience the peace of God when you're not walking with God. It's an issue of of assurance, not an issue of justification. That's an important distinction to keep in mind. And so we experience God's peace when we practice the truth because of all that theology already of the fact of we have received the righteousness of Christ by faith. We've already received it, so now live it and experience Emmanuel's peace. And so on those sleepless nights, what I find is that I'm usually trying to stop thinking so I can go to sleep, but in reality, I probably need to start thinking differently. I need to think upon those things that God calls me to think upon. 
to bring the truth to bear on the troubles that are plaguing me as I seek to go to sleep. And it is then that the God of peace draws near to us with that heart and mind guarding peace while we think and practice the truth that God has revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we want it really simple. Sometimes we wish there was just a pill to take and everything would just happen. Uh, that there would be a magic phrase that we could utter and everything would change. And yet, um, what we find is you call us to this reality of self-denial. This reality of putting off and putting on. Putting off old thoughts and putting on new thoughts. So that our minds are renewed and then we are transformed. Help us not to give up in the midst of that process that can be kind of tiring. Grant us the faith that perseveres through that difficulty so that we do experience that peace that comes from you because we have you, the God of peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.